I'll bring our Bible reading just now, and we're going to read from Acts uh, chapter 2, and commencing to read at verse 22. And this is Peter uh, preaching um, <clears throat> on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted at the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not descend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then just a verse in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. Peter again uh, is speaking, and he says here, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And one final verse in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21, it says there, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now, it's really nice to share a fellowship with you today. Uh, I come from Newton Mounds Baptist, a bit of a connection with this fellowship here, so it's nice to uh, be with you, and thank you for the warmth of your welcome. And thanks for the songs as well, because today uh, we're going to uh, look a little bit into heaven. And uh, that's always a bit of a consideration when you decide if you let to speak in that, because um, 
We're very much taken up with uh, circumstances of life, a lot of pressures in life, and uh, uh, I don't look into heaven uh, in view of some sort of escapism, but just to understand, as we said at the outset, it looks as if uh, the circumstances of the world are sort of hurtling out of control, and even quite a lot of Christians are concerned. Uh, if you start local, uh, what's going to happen to Scotland? Is it going to stay in the United Kingdom or leave? What's going to happen to Britain when it leaves Europe? Uh, what's going to happen to America if Donald Trump continues for four years or eight years? What's going to happen in Africa and the Middle East where there seems to be almost no sign of conflict ending? And uh, people are very concerned about that. And so I just thought that we would look this morning at the great stability uh, of God's purposes as we find them set out in the Scripture, in particular some of the things that He has done. So there's a higher throne, there's a higher throne, and uh, that gives us great assurance. And doesn't make us complacent, or doesn't disengage us from the circumstances of life, and doesn't uh, remove us, uh, remove from us the responsibility of being salt and light and representing a God of love in a world that is uh, damaged by sin, but it gives us confidence and it gives us a certain peace and a certain stability. And we want to look at some of the things that God has done. And of course, sometimes um, uh, the rulers of uh, the world that are around us and governments are very grateful for them because they're established by God and they give us order. It doesn't matter whether you like the government or not, they bring order. Because in the no government, you have anarchy. And anarchy is not a good thing. So God has established governments. Um, in the Old Testament and in Romans 13, you find it all explained that the powers that God has established are for our good, and they're meant to take action against evil, and we pray for them that God will make a way through for His people. But there was a great question which uh, a governor asked, and uh, the question was this, Pilate, at the trial of Jesus, uh, asked the people, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? And the answer was, crucify him. So the governor asked a question, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And uh, sometimes we think that it's all down to the different rulers or governors. What shall I do, he said. I could do things. Now, Jesus said to him uh, that he had no power at all except what was given to him from above, but Pilate wanted to know what to do. And, uh, of course, there's a hymn, an old hymn um, written around that. Uh, Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall. Some of you might remember it. And uh, so the, the chorus asks, uh, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? So we can't engage with uh, the person of Jesus without being confronted with big issues. And uh, Pilate uh, asked that question. What will I do with Jesus? Well, what did he do? Well, uh, we have it described in Acts that uh, Jesus was delivered up and taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain. But actually, it says in the same verse that it really happened because God, God's will had decreed that it would happen that way. And what we want to think about this morning is uh, the fact that God is active, and we want to think specifically about what God has done with Jesus. Don't think about that too much, but God has done things with Jesus. I'm going to reflect on that this morning. God has done things with Jesus. 
And the first one is very solemn, and it's in 2 Corinthians 5, and it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's interesting that, isn't it? You would have thought in Pilate's judgment hall that it was all down to Pilate. The Roman power dominated from Italy right across the Mediterranean, around the Middle East, along North Africa, and Pilate, the representative uh, figure of that government, he said, what will I do with Jesus? What will I do with Jesus? And he delivered him up to be crucified and washed his hands. But of course, God was doing something there, and God was intervening. Sometimes people ask, uh, why doesn't God intervene? Well, God has intervened in the most profound and uh, meaningful way in the circumstance of the sinful circumstance of the human race, and He's intervened in this. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the first thing that God did with Jesus. One thing about this morning, He made He made Him sin. He made Him to be sin. And we know that uh, Jesus did no sin. We know that in Him was no sin, that He had no sin. And yet the thing that He abhorred on those hours of darkness on Calvary's cross, God made Him to be sin. God intervened and made Him sin. And He suffered there for our sins, and the, the wrath and the judgment of God fell upon Him in those hours of darkness. And Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Uh, he laid on Him the iniquity of us all. God made him uh, to be sin for us. And so when people ask, why doesn't God intervene and stop the things that are going wrong? Well, God has intervened, and he has done it at the fundamental level, because there's no point in putting sticking plasters on the problem of the world. The problem of the world is sin, and God has addressed it. And he's addressed it in a way which manifests, manifests his love and his grace and his kindness towards us, knowing that there's no way that we could save ourselves and no way that we could endure his wrath and anger against sin. The sin was laid on the head of his son. Now, as Christians, it's very good never to lose the connection with that. It's very good never to lose that because it is fundamental to our, uh, our um, experience and our relationship with God that our sins have been taken away. And it's also very helpful to remember that the great sin-bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, uh, it says, He had no sin. He had no sin. And it is true that He became man. It is true that, in that sense, He was like us. Uh, but, of course, it was sin apart, apart from sin. He was absolutely sinless. And yet, the one who was sinless, God made to be sin. And that's the first thing, as we just turn to the passage in the Acts, just to remember that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is enthroned in God's presence, uh, was uh, the man who was made sin for us. So God intervened, and he was made sin. Well, then in Acts chapter 2, uh, the passage that we read that Peter preached, and it's interesting when you read this passage and you realize it was first preached about 2,000 years ago, and the message is still relevant today. We're not men of Israel here. We're men of uh, Scotland. We're men of Scotland, but um, the message is exactly relevant to us. And the response, uh, we would pray, is the same as the response. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And God is still um, adding to the church. And so, uh, the first thing that Peter says that uh, God has done with Jesus, uh, as we have seen, this man was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. So, God's hand was in all of that. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death 
So as far as they were concerned, they put him to death, but uh, it was according to the set purpose and foreknowledge of God. Well then, God started to act. In verse 24, it says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And again, in verse 32, we read that God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. So God raised him from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not something we just think about at Easter, but every day, just remember this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that God was satisfied with the work he did in bearing our sins, and so it says that he was freed from the agony of death because it was impossible, impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And the great fundamentals of the Christian faith are centered in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. He's raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, reading another scripture. And it was impossible for the death to keep its hold on him because death had no claim in Christ. Uh, it's true that as a man he was capable of dying, but I don't believe that he was subject to death. Uh, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed on all men, so we are subject to death. Jesus became a man, and therefore he was in a condition in which it was possible for him to die, but he laid down his life. He said in John 10, I lay down my life and no man takes it from me, and he laid down his life. And so he had borne our sins, and God was satisfied with the work he had done, and so he was raised from the dead, and there were witnesses to it, and Peter was speaking here, and he says, we're all witnesses of the fact. So God started to act. First of all, he made Jesus to be sin. Secondly, he raised him from the dead. And then in verse 33, we read, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. Now, this is a great thing to be established in as Christians, that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And in one of the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, he says that uh, the, the overcomer in that church would sit down with him on his throne. He says, Jesus says, just as I have sat down with my Father on his throne. So Jesus is seated on the Father's throne. He is seated at the right hand of God, and he is waiting until his enemies are made the footstool of his feet. And so God's purposes for the future will all be worked out, but Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, a place which tells us that everything for the execution of God's will and purpose in this world has been entrusted to Christ. Read in John chapter 3 that at the end of the chapter, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand all things, all things. The future of the world, it doesn't depend on politicians and leaders. Uh, we're grateful for them and the stability that they bring, but it doesn't depend on that because there is at the right hand of God um, uh, one who sits there, a prince and a savior. And we sometimes sing that hymn, uh, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. No, Jesus didn't remain in the grave. Uh, he didn't remain in this world in resurrection, but he was not simply risen and living, but ascended and glorified. And that is his present position. So he is exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus, we enthrone you. We proclaim you our king. That's his, that's his place. Now, the fact that people don't acknowledge that place uh, doesn't, doesn't really matter. doesn't really matter. In God's grace, He has brought us to the place where we see Christ, the great sin-bearer, 
Christ risen from the dead, Christ exalted to the right hand of God, and He is there uh, interceding for us. And so, uh, we are conscious that there is in God's presence uh, one to whom everything has been committed. And so, our attitude to government in this world changes. Uh, we understand that governments are established by God, but we understand that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, uh, waiting until His enemies are made the footstool of His feet. Well, then there's more. Well, as Peter goes on, and uh, he speaks about the Spirit which has been given, but then he says, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, there is an amazing fact, and it's quite hard for us just to grasp the immensity of what God has done in making Jesus both Lord and Christ. I imagine that most of us here are Gentiles, um, and you remember when Peter uh, first brought the gospel to the Gentiles, he went to Cornelius and uh, instructed by God to do that. And as he's explaining to Cornelius all that had happened to Jesus and setting out the truth of God's intervention in Christ, he makes a little sentence about Jesus, and he says, he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. Now, you don't see it today, but he's Lord of all. Not everybody acknowledges Jesus as Lord. They will do one day, but not everybody acknowledges it, but he is Lord of all. That is the position. Uh, Peter's saying he wasn't just Lord for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentiles, but it's universal. Christ's Lordship is universal. He has a claim on every person in this world. He is Lord of all. You th now, people sometimes say, yeah, that's just for Christians. Just Christians think that, but everybody else has got their own religion. No, no, He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. And that's why it says in Philippians 2 that there's a day coming that God has given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, both in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father's glory. That's going to happen. He is Lord of all. And it's tremendous. I think it's a tremendous fact for the Christian to have in their heart. When you go out into this world and you, you speak to people about their soul, you try to share the gospel, or you live a life as a witness, or you bring acts of mercy and kindness representing the gracious and loving attitude that God has to this sinful world, remember this, that you can do it with confidence because Christ is Lord of all. Now, sometimes people think, well, yes, in a sort of a way, He probably is maybe reigning. Well, of course, He is. God is in control of everything. The time has not yet come for Christ to reign publicly. He's not reigning publicly, but He is still Lord of all. And it's important we don't get mixed up and think, well, maybe the kingdom is sort of being extended. It definitely is, and God is calling out a people for His name, and there are people who are bowing the knee to Jesus now. But whether people bow the knee at the moment or not doesn't matter. Christ is Lord of all. So, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ, the Messiah, the promised ruler, the one who was promised to Israel. And of course, Peter here is addressing Jewish people. And so, Christ, uh, this one, this Jesus whom you crucified is made both Lord and Christ. So, the Lordship of Christ is something which, um, having been brought to bow the knee to Jesus, we love to acknowledge and we celebrate the fact that He is the Christ, the great Messiah, the great ruler who has come now, who has been rejected and crucified by His people. We understand that, but it doesn't set aside the fact that He is Lord and Christ. And so, it demands a response. 
It demands a response. And the people, of course, ask, what shall we do? What shall we do? The people heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Well, uh, it demands a response today. And so, as we speak of Jesus, who has been crucified and who has set forth both Lord and Christ, uh, we take it a bit further as Peter, who is with the others, has been put in prison and uh, they've been miraculously released from the prison, and uh, they start preaching again, and they're then called to account, they're called to the Sanhedrin, and they said, listen, you need to tell us what exactly you're doing here. And uh, as they appear, uh, Peter and the other apostles in chapter 5 and verse 29 says, we must obey God rather than men. Uh, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, uh, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, who you had killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted to him to his own right hand, same theme, uh, as a prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. So the one who is at God's right hand is now a prince. That's a word that means sort of leader and savior. And so there is in God's presence uh, in that higher throne, uh, that uh, emerald throne, uh, that place where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and where there is a great deal of activity and God is sending forth angels as ministering spirits into this world and there's a lot happening in heaven. Heaven is not some sort of static, passive place that is not interested in the world. Far from it, God by His Holy Spirit is moving and moving in the midst of His people and He's convicting people of their sins. And so it is that uh, Peter says that the one who's been exalted to God's right hand is a prince and a savior. And that is the great central message of the Christian gospel, that God is setting forth not a judge, but a savior. It's beautiful that God has drawn near to us despite our sinfulness and our rebellion against him and the chaos and the mess we've made of this world, repentance and forgiveness is being offered, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel and by extension to us and to whoever calls on his name. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So Christ, seated at the right hand of God, a prince and a savior, and the message goes out of repentance and forgiveness. And of course, as we look, as we look at many other scriptures, uh, we just have something of the scale of God's purposes and his plans for this world. So it's good, it's good not to get, um, it's just getting a balance. Don't get panicky about instability amongst the nations. God never promised that uh, there would be a great era of peace ushered in until Jesus comes to reign. That's not going to happen. It's interesting that I think the last time the world saw Jesus, I think the last time they saw him, he was on the cross. I think so. Uh, Joseph and Nicodemus came and took Jesus' body and laid it in the tomb. Now Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared Mary and to the disciples and, uh, and differently once to 500 people at once read about in Corinthians, but the world never saw Jesus. The last time they saw him, crucified. See, the earth, this world has, has rejected earth's rightful king. And so it's just important to understand that at the present time, it's good to be intelligent about it, that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's a prince and a savior. The gospel is being preached and we're waiting for his enemies who made the footstool of his feet. But in Hebrews chapter one, read these words that has God has spoken to us. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. So God has appointed him 
heir of all things. Things that God has done with Jesus. Yes, he was made sin. Yes, he raised him from the dead. Yes, he exalted him. Yes, he gave him um, a seat at his right hand. He has made him Lord and Savior. He has made him, sorry, Lord and Christ. He has made him, um, he has set forth a prince and a savior, but he's appointed him to be heir of all things. And so as we uh, engage in our lives this week with acts of compassion, with the representation of the mercy of God, with practical care and concern, with engagement in the, the, the terrible needs of our society, with the spiritual void that exists in the hearts of our work colleagues and our friends and our relatives, uh, let's just remember this, that Christ has been appointed heir of all things. He's heir of all things, been appointed by God. And of course, the amazing thing is that uh, in Hebrews it also says that the great work that God has done in uh, Christ having become man and having borne our sins, it says that he, um, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He has made Christ perfectly suited to be uh, our Savior, uh, to be the uh, bringer of our salvation through suffering. doesn't mean that Christ has been made perfect, but He's perfectly equipped and perfectly fitted to be our Savior. And of course, uh, we read in 1 Corinthians 15 that eventually, uh, in that eternal day, uh, God will make the Son subject to Him. And so, God's purposes are grand and expansive and fixed and immutable. And so, as we go into our uh, lives this week, let's remember that the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands, and it is safe there. And it's our privilege to have the experience of the forgiveness of sins, to trust in a risen Savior, to come to the throne of grace and find help in time of need, and to realize that there is one there who intercedes on our behalf and who has given us a message, a message for this world, that He has set forth a Prince and a Savior. Christian gospel is amazing. Christian faith, wonderful. Establishes the soul, gives us confidence. And as we go into this week, may God help us to see the things that He has done. Not so much the things that men have done, but what God has done. We might be established in our faith. We're going to conclude our service by singing uh, number 449, Love Divine, All